Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5 with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. On today's episode, Christina and I are interviewing Jesse Jean all about the people-pleasing and emotional eating connection. Jesse is a certified mind-body eating coach who turned her own decade-long struggle with food and body into her business and her mission. Now she helps thousands of women all around the world end the fight with food using unique brain-based techniques so they can have a peaceful relationship with food and unshakable confidence in their skin. In today's interview, we are digging into how our nervous system plays a role in binge eating and emotional eating, how we can then use nervous system regulation tools as a way to help clients to understand binge eating and emotional eating, and other behaviors and situations that help create the perfect storm that may lead to binge and or emotional eating. And if you really resonate with this episode, which we're, we are sure that a lot of you will because it's a very relatable topic, be sure to check in with our bonus episode over on Patreon this week at patreon.com slash wholehearted eating, where Christina and I are doing a deep dive after the episode into emotional eating, binge eating, nervous system regulation, and then some very clear action steps to help you move through these. Well, Jesse, thank you so, so much for coming on and having an interview with Christina and I today. We're super excited to talk about binge eating and nervous system regulation and people pleasing and all the things. So we want to kind of just jump right in today. If you could tell us a little bit more about you and talk about how you use nervous system regulation as a way to help clients understand binge eating and emotional eating. Mm, yeah, let's dive right in. Thank you guys so much for having me. And uh, thank you for um, initiating a discussion around this. I think it's a really, really important topic. I don't think it's discussed enough. And the struggles, I'm sure, as you guys know, with food and body image, binge eating, emotional overeating are incredibly frustrating for those who struggle. And um, those who struggle typically have tried a million different things. They've tried so many different methods, so many different approaches. They've tried their best. They've mustered up as much possible discipline and willpower and good intention to feel more in control or feel more balanced with food. And it can feel like this mental tug of war, this, um, you know, devil on one shoulder, angel on another. It can feel like I intellectually know what I want to do, but why do I physically feel a sensation to do otherwise? Um, and that just starts to make you feel a little crazy. It makes you feel like what the heck is wrong with me? Am I, you know, for me anyways, in my own journey, I struggled for 10 years. It made me feel like, you know, something is, something is off with me. Something is very, very wrong because I could see that in my own, uh, journey, I would succeed in many other areas of my life. I was doing well in academics in high school, in college, I was doing well with my career. I was doing well in a lot of other areas, but it was the one area that I, even though I was giving it a lot of attention and a lot of energy and a lot of effort and, even at one point when I was in college, I started going to therapy. I started going to Overeaters Anonymous. I was trying so many different 
things to get this under control. And I couldn't figure it out. And, and like I said, it made me feel like something is very wrong with me and it made me feel so ashamed. And I think what's so important is that when we have these discussions around binge eating and emotional overeating food and body image that they're multifaceted. And there's so many different, um, health professions and practitioners and nutritionists and therapists and coaches and healers that have different wisdom to offer. And I think if, uh, those struggling can understand that a holistic approach is likely going to be the best option. If you can look at the struggle and you can look at it from a multitude of angles, you're likely going going to be able to navigate your way out of it. And so one of those angles, one of the things that we need to consider is how our nervous system plays a role in creating the physical sensation, the physical draw or pull to do these things with food that we intellectually know that we don't want to do. And I always say, you can't you can't outthink you no amount of mindset work is going to override a dysregulated nervous system. And our nervous system, it plays a role in so many different important functions. It plays a role in how we feel and how we function. It plays a role in everything. And so if, if we can understand that not only is our struggle with binge eating and emotional eating very much so mental and very much so, you know, it's, it's happening in the brain, but it's also happening on a body-based level. And so nervous system re regulation really brings into the conversation, body oriented techniques. How do we support our nervous system? How do we regulate? How do we get ourselves back into what's known as our window of tolerance? How do we ground ourselves when we're feeling so anxious and overwhelmed or when we're going into states of fight or flight, or we're dropping in to these lower, um, lower energetic states of freeze and dissociation. And so if we can start to recognize how, and when we do that, we can start to regulate our nervous system. We can realize, okay, I'm getting into, I call it an emotionally hot place where I start to get really activated and I'm recognizing, okay, I'm kind of impulsive. I have, you know, intrusive, uh, an intrusive imagination nation right now. I'm short tempered. I'm anxious. Okay. I'm getting emotionally hot. Or sometimes when I'm worn out, I'll get into these like mindless doom scrolling moods where I'm just on my phone or, you know, it's like, I can't get myself to do anything. You know, when I notice I'm in either one of those states, I know it's a state of nervous system dysregulation. And so depending on which state of nervous system dysregulation I'm in, I can utilize different body oriented techniques to get myself back into this window of tolerance, this grounded, emotionally, even keel balanced place where I can actually think clearly and uh, function clearly and make decisions from a grounded place where I'm not feeling this physical impulse or physically dissociating. And so that's really what I'm excited to talk about when it comes to, you know, binge and emotional overeating. And that's just one puzzle piece. There's so many other important puzzle pieces, but that's just one that I think is often left out of the conversation. And that's why I'm so excited about talking about it online, because I think for a lot of people, that's one of the big missing puzzle pieces. Sure. I, I think it's such a good point because we do kind of, I think it can often be forgotten about it because we focus so much on the food. We don't focus as much on the being, <laughs> you know, like what's leading to everything too. And I think um, one of the things that I think could be really helpful is that Dane and I often talk about sometimes about how people have different definitions of what 
binge eating is and what overeating is. And a lot of times, especially with some clients of mine who have various different types of eating disorders, their perspective, like I call it plate dysmorphia. It's like you see your plate and it's like you're not seeing it for what it actually is. Um, And so some people's idea of a binge might be drastically different from my idea of a binge or Dana's idea of a binge or your idea of, of a binge. So how do we then understand where we fall on this binge eating, overeating spectrum to know whether or not something like this could be helpful or if it is like I'm avoiding eating in some ways. Mm, Yeah, that's such a good point. And it is, I love what you said, a spectrum. It really is a spectrum of intensity. And so I always say to people who are on this journey of healing, when they're like, I don't know if I'm making any progress because that often comes up because it's very, you know, there's highs and there's lows and there's, you know, there's days that feel really good. And there's days that don't feel really good when you're on the healing journey. And I always say a key indicator of success on this journey is that the impulse and the intensity And the frequency of the binges and the moments of emotional overeating where you feel untethered, where you feel ungrounded, where you feel a sense of a loss of control, those moments are decreasing in terms of intensity and frequency over time. And that doesn't mean you're not going to have those moments where you feel this sense of a loss of control or you feel like you're eating way beyond physical fullness. And it is hard to, you know, actually define what a binge is because we all have a different perspective. I remember at one point in my journey, if I was eating, you know, 15, 15, 20 grams over, you know, something in my macros, I was so ashamed. And I felt like, wow, you know, this, this I'm unraveling. And then there was times where, you know, my perspective was totally different. And so I think it's really, instead of trying to define it in terms of quantity or amount. Um, and I know the DSM five, um, has a very specific definition. Well, it's kind of a, uh, uh, different different uh, parameters to look at to determine what is binge eating. Um, I think what's even more helpful than the DSM-5's diagnostic criteria is to look at it and go, it really is a a feeling. It is a feeling of a loss of control. And that can be, you know, with a a protein bar that can be two extra bites of food, or for somebody else, it can look like, you know, um, uh, multiple other meals beyond the point of fullness. And so instead of looking at it in terms of quantity, I think we look at it in terms of how does the eating experience feel? Am I honoring and supporting my body's needs? And then what's happening beyond that, that doesn't feel good. That doesn't feel um, nourishing to the body and how do we get back to a place where we feel at peace with food? So I don't think it's defined in terms of quantity or amount. I think it's a feeling. Yeah. I think what can be so tough too, is depending on how far people are on the spectrum of disordered eating and eating disorders, like, especially with Christina works with a lot of people with active eating disorders. And I work with people with kind of like a history of disordered eating for the most part. Yeah. But sometimes what we'll see is like people will be eating a, you know, widely accepted as relatively, you know, normal, quote unquote, plate of food. And they feel like they're wildly overeating or they feel like they're wildly binge eating when really the food that's on the plate could be exactly what their body and their nervous system needs in order to fuel those cells. But because they have this plate dysmorphia or because they have, you know, any of these other kind of conceptions of like, oh, that's way too much for me, depending on, you know, the relative of where they're coming from, 
it can feel so out of control to them, right? So to your Mm -hmm. point, it's like trying to work around, well, why do I feel so out of control around this when really this is a very nourishing plate for me and my body is Mm -hmm. like, at this point, probably screaming at me to be like, yes, I need these nutrients, like, please. (laughs) But your brain is like, no, this is too much. It's just like a very, um, it's a really tough place to be in like uh, cognitive dissonance as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, so much of that is learning to uh, get in touch with the body's physical sensations. We're so disconnected from our body because of the mental dialogue and the different thought patterns and emotional loops that we're stuck in. We can't even really feel sometimes physically what's happening in the body. And so instead of going, yeah, this feels good. This feels nourishing for my body. We're so caught in, you know, I shouldn't be doing this. This is way too much, whatever narrative diet culture has ingrained into our mind. And so, you know, it's, I think it's really learning to come back to physically checking in with the body. How does your body feel when you're eating this and learning to quiet that mental restriction and dismiss it and, and come back to what is my body feeling? How does this feel in my body? And I think what's so interesting for so many who go through the recovery process is they start to realize, you know, oh, it doesn't feel good to eat to this point. Or I actually don't like this thing that I thought that I liked so much or that I would binge on because as I'm getting reconnected to my body, I'm realizing like, I don't even enjoy the taste of that. Or I really like this thing that I never thought I would like. And so it's such an interesting experience to get reconnected with the body and feel into what feels good instead of operating and living in this, I should be doing this. I shouldn't be doing that. And all these rules and restrictions that, you know, diet culture puts in place. Yeah. And there's so many different, like you mentioned earlier, puzzle pieces. I feel like also there's different like trajectory entry points into binge eating behaviors, right? One part is absolutely nervous system regulation is like such a big part. We we have different definitions for like where you are in the stages of kind of like mm-hmm. a binging type behavior or like a scavenger like eating and things sure. like that where they can feel like completely out of control. And I'd be curious if you could explain to us a little bit about what other avenues that you feel like can contribute to this binge emotional eating behaviors that are outside of the nervous system triggers. Because I think it can be difficult to like someone to hear like, oh, we're going to start listening to our body. It's like, I think I am, you know, like, (laughs) I think I am listening to my body and it's telling me don't do this. And yet here I am. And so I feel like that'd be interesting if you could share a little bit about like, what can kind of set up a perfect storm for mm. binge type behaviors? Totally. Obviously, there's so many <laughs> different things. So many. That's kind of a loaded question. But one of the things I, I, I'll i go with what I don't feel like is discussed very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I feel like really contributes to these cyclical patterns and creating this perfect storm is it, well, it usually always part of the puzzle piece is usually always body dissatisfaction. There's usually a large component of that in one way or another that causes us to feel like, okay, we need to, you know, we're dissatisfied in one way, one way or another with our body. So we need to start controlling food. And then that ends up, you know, ironically spiraling us out of control with food. Um, most people understand that most people realize that, but another component of what I think, um, really influences our relationship with food is the culture and the society that we live in that is so go, go, go. We live in such a hustle culture. We live in such a culture of um, accomplishment and achievement and goal setting. But I feel like 
so many of us are so stretched thin, we're so exhausted, we're so worn out. And because of that, it impacts our nervous system. Our nervous system is taxed, it's worn out, it's tapped. Our nervous system is always trying to regulate and bring us back to baseline, bring us back to a state of groundedness. But I, the way that most of our lives uh, operate is in you know breakneck speed. And we've gotten used to living this way. And as a result, we're anxious, we're overworked, we're stretched thin, we don't have time to process, we don't have time to feel our feelings and process emotions in a healthful way. And as a result, we become emotionally constipated, emotionally backed up, and emotions that aren't felt, that aren't processed, they don't go away. They just start to get stored in in, in our cells and in our minds and in our hearts and in our soul and our spirit and our body. And they influence us and they impact how we act and react to things. And so I think that is a huge a huge part of the conversation that isn't often discussed because we all exist and live in this culture that just is, it's keeping up with the Joneses. It's constant comparison to those on social media. It's business coaches pushing this narrative of, you know, hustle on the side while you're doing your nine to five. It's just, it's so much pressure. And I think that pressure again is activating our nervous system into states of dysregulation that it's struggling to get back to a state of groundedness. We live in such a high speed culture culture and overconsumption culture. And all of that is making us really anxious. And so binge eating or emotional overeating for a lot of people is becoming an escape or it becomes a coping mechanism. I don't have the capacity or the know-how to feel what I'm feeling right now. And so instead I want to disassociate with food or I want to use food to numb out, to just try and feel something different because the sensation that I'm feeling right now of disappointment or loneliness or fear of falling behind, or like I'm not good enough is a lot for our system. It's a, it's a, that feeling of shame is heavy. And so, you know, food can be a great escape to feel something different temporarily until that feeling of, wow, I physically feel uncomfortable because I'm not really listening to my body until that sets in. So I think that's a, you know, something that's not often discussed, but definitely I think a lot of people could relate to that. Yeah. I love how you call this emotional constipation and being like the GI specialist that I am. The first thing that I thought of was, oh, so nervous system regulation tools is basically like emotional fiber for emotional constipation. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's a great way to think about it. Oh, man. Of course, that was like the first thing that my brain went to. So (laughs) speaking of that, um, can you talk more about the tools or some examples Mm -hmm. of the tools that you use for nervous system regulation to help with binge eating? I know you love to do Mm -hmm. different like tutorials on these on your reels, which we really like. So if you could go into those, that'd be really cool. Totally. Yeah. And people, it's so funny because, you know, the internet takes something and they take it totally out of context and, (laughs) you know, they'll look at, you know, one of my 30 second reels or TikTok videos where I'm doing something that looks, you know, notably kind of out there and bizarre. And they're like, this girl doesn't understand anything. Oh my gosh, this is such toxic behavior. And I totally understand when it's taken out of context, why, you know, utilizing some of these tools and techniques when you don't also have, you know, the, the whole conversation within a 30 second reel that, you know, we also need to talk about, you know, healing emotionally. We need to talk about intuitive eating. We need to talk about all these different puzzle pieces that go into the equation of healing binge and emotional overeating. But again, nervous system regulation is just a puzzle piece. And it's it's the part of the puzzle where we're going to talk about 
body-oriented techniques. We support our mind through different mindset work. We need to support our body through different body-oriented tools and techniques. And I like to break it down and demystify. I hate when things feel so in the clouds for people who are listening or trying to heal. And so when you think of nervous system regulation, instead of it feeling like, you know, this very heady or very uh, kind of, oh, here's one more thing I have to learn and understand. Just think of anything that uh, causes your body to physically feel something different and and activate your senses in one way or another to cause you, your body, again, to feel something different because it's far faster to influence our body to feel something, to stimulate our bodies to feel something and that be the avenue to shift what we're thinking mentally than trying to do these mental gymnastics and think our way out of a binge or think our way out of undesired behavior. It can work, but it's hard to sit there and go, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. I don't want to be doing this. And then you're fighting a physical, a mental, yes, but also a physical sensation to engage in binge or emotional overeating. And so there's a number of different techniques that, you know, I share on my Instagram and TikTok, but um, some of them that I've shared uh, online include things like um, shaking. And shaking is uh, a technique to literally shaking. So if you're listening to this, you're feeling an urge or an impulse to binge. The next time you feel that way, get up. And if you can be in private, better yet, because people will probably look at you kind of funny. Um, <laughs> and and turn on a song, go for the length of the song, you know, two minutes, three minutes, and Taylor just Swift, shake. shake it off. <laughs> yeah, shake it. Exactly. Shake it off to Taylor Swift. You know, just shake out your limbs, shake out your legs, twist your spine, kind of jump around, take some deep breaths, and just shake. It is going to help stimulate when, when we're feeling anxious. There is contraction in our body. There's, there's, you know, cortisol is released in our body. And if we can shake and move through it, we can actually release the tension and the contraction in our muscles that's causing us to physically feel a certain way. And so that's a beautiful one when you're in a state of um, hyper arousal, when you're overactivated, when you're anxious, when you're worked up. Animals do this instinctually in the wild when they go into a state of fight or flight after they're back to safety, they will naturally shake to release the adrenaline, to release, you know, the experience that they just had. And, and that's a beautiful way to shift the energy that you're feeling. Do it for two to three minutes. I've had millions of people across the internet go, oh my God, I tried it. It worked. It does work because you're getting into your body. But that doesn't mean that it's any better of a technique or any worse of a technique than doing something else that will stimulate you to feel different. So another technique that I've shared is um, putting your face, this is a little bit more extreme and you can start on um, you know, a little bit milder of a scale uh, and people really got on my case for this one, I get it, but um, dunking your face in some cold water or splashing cold water on, on your face, it triggers what's known as the mammalian dive reflex, which naturally goes to slow down our heart rate. So again, if you are in a state of anxiety or hyper arousal, you're kind of worked up, um, it can be a technique that will naturally help calm you down. And so you can, you know, in order to trigger the body's mammalian dive reflex, you do have to submerge your face in cold water. You can splash cold water on your face. But if that just doesn't seem practical in the moment to do that, it's like you're going to ruin a full face of makeup, you're at work, or just you're not wanting to go headfirst into some cold water, you can take an ice pack, you can take a pack of frozen you know, fruit or vegetables, put it on your chest, take some deep breaths, and it's going to shift the sensation of how the sensations of how you feel. Now, if you're in a state of hypo arousal, you're in that doom scrolling, 
I don't give a F mode. You're dissociating. You're mentally checking out. You are, you know, you're getting into those states of, uh, I just want to numb out with food. I don't even want to think about it. And it's kind of this lower energetic state. Um, we need to activate ourselves. We need to get energy moving. We need to get you know, we need to get our heart rate up. Obviously the shaking would be a great one for hyper or hypo arousal. But in those, uh, in those places, I really love circular breathing. And this is just a more forced, um, rapid breathing to kind of wake you up, to kind of stimulate you. It's almost like taking you out of those, uh, just those, those lower energetic lethargic states. And so circular breathing is in through the nose, out through the mouth, in through the nose, out through the mouth. It's a forced breath in and a forced breath out doing that for, you know, three rounds of maybe 10 reps. You might get a little tingly. It's best to do it when you're sitting down because you might get a little bit lightheaded, but it's going to give you energy. So those are just a few techniques that you can use. But when you think about it, anything that will stimulate any one of your five senses. So some, sometimes it can be aromatherapy, getting out some, um, essential oils and sniffing some essential oils can help stimulate your body to feel something different, turning on, maybe you got the TV in the background, the kids are screaming. Maybe it's getting away from the noise to just help your system downregulate if it's in a state of being overactivated and, you know, changing kind of what you're hearing. So anything that stimulates our five senses could be considered, uh, something that helps with nervous system regulation. One of my personal favorites, and I actually hired a, um, handyman to build this in my backyard is swinging. So swinging can activate states of calm and relaxation. And so when I'm activated in the summers, I'll go out into my backyard. I have these macrame swings and I'll just swing for sometimes five minutes. I'll curl up in my, my macrame chair and I'll just swing. But if you don't have a swing or a hammock or something like that, just getting on the ground and grabbing your knees and rocking back and forth can help uh, regulate your system and, you know, bring you back into a state of groundedness. Yeah. I really love all these different techniques and I could see why the ice bathing was, <laughs> was probably a big a big thing on the internet when everyone was coming at you, probably. Completely out of context, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely mm-hmm. out of context. And I could imagine, as the people who keep validating where people are coming from, if they were to see that and think like, well, you know, what are you doing? You know, like this doesn't, yeah. you know. This is why Dana and I, everything that you're talking about here, I think all of the different things are incredible tools and should be utilized. And also, we also need to go to therapy to talk about the things that are dysregulating us <laughs> and making us go into these types of things, right? Totally. I think those are so important to kind of remember as well is like if you're finding that this technique is incredibly supportive for you, I think it's time to dig in a little bit deeper and find out why it might keep ending up in this place. <laughs> you know, um, what's contributing to that? Maybe there's, you know, long history of stuff going on or, or whatever it is that that's been happening for you. I think it's really important to do that. One of the things since you already alluded to it is that um, people completely misinterpreted or take like a 30 second reel and then kind of take it and go with it. One of the things that I think could be interesting for you to kind of speak on a little bit is how these types of techniques can be potentially misused. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, people in the 
you know, people, some of the, I imagine that some of the pushback for some of these things are maybe like, oh, this is kind of like, if I'm hungry, go drink some water first. Mm, Yeah. And I'd love for you to explain, since you have the context and the ability to kind of dive into it a little bit more on a podcast than on TikTok, (laughs) uh, could you share with us a little bit about what makes this so different and why this is a productive versus, you know, avoidance and versus like, Mm -hmm. you know, diet culture type of technique? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And, and that is one of the reasons um, it, you know, the internet, some people on the internet took it and were like, this is so toxic. You need to listen to your body. And I'm like, of course, absolutely. And this has nothing to do with ignoring physical hunger and also um, uh, emotional hunger. Eating emotionally doesn't need to be demonized. It isn't a bad thing. Having food support your emotional process can be productive and doesn't have to always be demonized. We don't need to fear this as something, you know, so scary and so toxic. I was feeling sad one day and ice cream sounded great. And now I need to feel so ashamed of myself and beat myself up. No, it's sometimes ice cream does feel great on a sad day or a heavy day or, you know, a day that you're worn out. And that's totally okay. It becomes a problem when food is our only emotional coping tool. And so utilizing these techniques is not about avoiding physical hunger. If you are not, you know, supporting your body and your body's physical needs for, uh, nourishment, you know, this is this, yeah, we don't want to take this out of context and try and, you know, pivot around. This isn't like, you know, chewing gum when you're hungry or drinking water or, you know, trying to, um, you know, not listen to what your body is saying. This is about when it has nothing to do with physical hunger. This is about being activated into, uh, states of dysregulation and learning how to support ourselves back into a state of groundedness. And oftentimes what I'll say, um, to the clients that I work with is I'll say, Hey, you know, when you are, um, you know, nervous system regulation doesn't doesn't have to just be used. These tools and techniques don't need to just be used when you're feeling an urge or an impulse to binge or emotionally overeat. This is something that I use. I I will use varying nervous system regulation tools every single day. And I haven't struggled with any urge or impulse or desire to binge or emotionally overeat in years and years and years, but I still get activated. Things still, you know, trigger me into states of anxiety or overwhelm. And so these are tools and techniques that help our, our nervous system stay grounded so we can think clearly and function clearly. And so what I'll often say to clients is, Hey, let's utilize this technique for 15 seconds or 30 seconds or 60 seconds or a couple of minutes so that when you go and have your meal now, we can do so from a grounded and connected place. Cause the goal is to get reconnected with the body. The goal is not to pivot around to eating. The goal is not to ignore eating or ignore what your body is asking. It's to get reconnected. And that's what nervous system regulation is about. It's going from a disconnected place to an, a fully integrated place so that we can, you know, we can feel our, our fullness. We can feel our hunger. We can be connected with it. We can, uh, extract satisfaction from the eating experience without being so in our head and so worked up and so anxious that we can't even taste our food. Um, so yeah, it's definitely not, they're, they're not tools and techniques to ignore your uh, physiology, what your body is asking of you. And that is definitely an important caveat. Yeah. I think it sometimes can be hard to tell though, right? Like I think mm-hmm. I'm thinking about clients of mine who are severely restrictive and then they lead mm-hmm. into binge type behaviors and it's really difficult for them to be able to 
have that kind of body awareness, which again, you're not saying go out and do this on your own. You're saying work with somebody, have the tools, have the support, know what you're learning, learning how to listen to your body and the language of your body so that you can respond to it. And this is one of the tools that you can use to respond. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important distinction that I think people need need to hear too that you can then misuse it right and it might not even be like a purposeful misuse it could be I'm trying to utilize this but I'm actually what I need to do is that I need to take care of one of the other puzzle pieces at the same time Mm -hmm. maybe I'm not eating consistently or regularly or I'm not nourishing my body on a regular basis Mm -hmm. and therefore that's also leading to like a time when the body's like hey it's time to pay the piper you know you haven't fed me Mm -hmm. all day and now it's time you know and so sometimes that can feel really out of control but it's a very physiological response Mm -hmm. to to like a lack of food and I think that's important to kind of like play in there as well as understanding you might not be able to distinguish between the two yet Mm -hmm. like you might not be able to know that yet but if you get support and you start to understand and do a lot of like um deeper work around what's leading to this what are the puzzle pieces that are influencing this behavior then here are all the various different tools that i can use that i can support myself and understand all right what puzzle piece might be contributing maybe it's a mm-hmm. little bit from every single one you know <laughs> you know totally. maybe i went bathing suit shopping maybe i haven't been eating enough today maybe someone said something crappy to me maybe you know maybe my my stress response is really really high right now maybe something from the past is getting triggered and it's all like coming together yeah. as like this big old like mess of feelings and <laughs> i really appreciate that you said that um that emotional eating and even I would even say binge eating is a is a valuable coping tool you know when things aren't accessible or other things aren't available or we don't have those tools yet to be able to say like hey I'm using this and this is the tool that's easily available to me and I'm also working on getting new tools or I know that I would like to get new tools Mm -hmm. that's okay Mm -hmm. you know it's okay I think the the problem that people have and what makes it uncomfortable is with accepting that this is an okay tool is body mm-hmm. image. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know, that's the that's the real thing that ends up people saying, well, this isn't okay because it might alter or change my body or it makes me feel like my body's not in my in my control. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it so difficult. And let's talk about that for regulation. Like how do you <laughs> regulate that piece of like mm-hmm. the stress that's in there too and all the different things and access to care and being in a marginalized body if that is impacting you too. Like all of those different pieces you might not be able to completely escape from, but these tools are definitely useful and supportive. And I, I don't know, I think I'm just kind of rambling at this point. <laughs> but <laughs> but I think it's important to note that not everybody can feel this right away and be able mm-hmm. to kind of distinguish between those between that and to getting support and understanding it. And also, like you said, mm-hmm. like normalizing that it's okay to utilize this as a tool. And I say that to clients of mine, you can sit there and say like, what tools are available to me? And it's like, yeah, today's an ice cream day and I'm cool with it. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I'm cool with that. I'm going to eat the entire pint and everyone can back off, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't care, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think being able to say like, that's the vibe is okay. You know, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. totally okay to use that too. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I think um, the, like you said, the, the, the part that makes this so challenging for 
a lot of people is the body image component because when our body image is when when we are not all consumed in the way that we look, uh, it becomes so much easier to listen to the body and that fear around where we're at in our body and the way that we're look, whether or not we feel like we fit in or whether or not we feel like in the moment we can accept where we're at, that really plays such a big role in guiding and directing what we do with food. And so I think that that has to be, you know, when we're spending so much time focusing on the food, um, we're really missing what's driving these behaviors with the food. And it is for so many people, body image and the nervous system regulation is, you know, this is helping us keep our system in a more calm and grounded state so we can think rationally and logically. But yeah, like you said, we've got to go and unpack what's causing us to become so activated or so dissociated or operating and living in these survival states or, you know, fight, flight, or freeze, or in this fawn state, you know, we have to, we have to unpack those things. And also I think the goal of healing binge and emotional overeating, which is, you know, these are the clients that I work with. I don't really work with clients who are on the restrictive end of the spectrum. Um, but really the, the goal is to cultivate safety within the body. Um, and that's a process that is definitely a process. Um, but it's this beautiful unfolding of, um, who am I beyond my body? It's a, it's this journey of redefining what it means to be you and your whole self-perception and your identity, like really unpacking who you are and feeling solid in an identity that goes beyond uh, body image. And that's a, that's a process. And it's a really cool process because in that process, you start to regain mental real estate and you realize, wow, I was giving so much energy to the way that I looked. Um, and thus how I did food that I was missing out on having any energy to give to these things that I really care about, or this aspect of my life, or, you know, this, uh, this part of my life. And so it is a cool process. Um, but yeah, the body image component is so huge. Well, you just brought up a, a beautiful opportunity for me to transition to another question I wanted to go into because talking about identity and how different pieces of ourselves can contribute to disconnection and dysregulation. I love how you've been talking about recently how people pleasing is connected to binge eating. So could you talk about that a little bit more and then a few signs for people to look for that this may be a component of their story? Mm, totally. Yeah. People pleasing is, you know, it's, it's a fawn response. It can often be a trauma response because we're so afraid of not being accepted. We're so afraid of not being liked at our core. We are tribal people and, you know, we, we don't need community to survive in modern times, but we do need community in order to thrive. We need to be a part of a tribe. We need to be accepted. There needs to be a sense of belonging. Um, that is, that is such a key, that's such a core component of mental health, emotional health and well-being. Um, and so many of us are so lonely going back to what I said earlier, because we're living in this hustle culture, we're living in, you know, go, go, go. We're overstimulated 
overstimulated, overworked, we're stretched thin. And so we're really disconnected from ourselves. And because of that, we're disconnected from other people. And we, although we're more connected than we've ever been in human history via technology and social media and, you know, being able to connect on Zoom, we are more lonely than we've ever been in human history. And that is having such an impact on uh, our mental health and well-being. And you know, this people pleasing is, you know, this desire to, uh, to be liked, to be accepted, to be approved of is something that is guiding so much of our actions and so much of our decisions. And it's exhausting us because we're denying ourselves of what it is we need in favor of trying to win the favor of others. And it keeps us exhausted. It keeps us on this all or nothing roller coaster. We go into social settings and instead of thinking like, do I like these people? Am I enjoying my time? We're constantly, we're constantly putting ourselves in this position of like trying to psychoanalyze the people around. What are, what are they thinking about me? Do they like me? What do they think about what I just said. And we're not even concerned about whether or not we're enjoying somebody else's company. It's like, let me just make sure they like me and then I'll decide whether or not I like them. And again, as a result, we're disconnected. We're socially anxious and it is, um, yeah, it's just a really exhausting place to exist. And so I've been on this journey the last few years to embrace this courage to be disliked, realizing that my only goal is to, to like myself and to be at peace with myself. And I always remind myself, okay, four quarters is better than a hundred pennies. And if I'm going to live a fully embodied life, if I'm going to live bold and courageous and believe in the things I want to believe in and do the things that I want to do, I can't be wasting so much time and energy trying to fit the mold of all of these different individuals that I think should like me. Instead, I'm going to go, who is Jessie? Can I identify what it is that she likes, what she enjoys, what her opinions are, instead of being a chameleon everywhere I go and accept the fact that I'm going to rub people the wrong way. <laughs> aren't going to get it in real life on the internet. And that's okay because I go to bed at night with myself and I have this commitment with myself that I just refuse to be in an adversarial relationship with myself. I don't care. I do care, but I'm going to work every day to disconnect my behaviors from caring what other people think about me and really just analyzing myself in terms of my own values and priorities. And I had to get clear on what is it that Jesse values? What are her priorities? And is she living in alignment with those on a day-to-day -day basis? And if the answer to that is yes, I have peace with myself, whether or not somebody on the internet doesn't get it or somebody in real life doesn't get it. And as I've gone on that journey to embrace the courage to be disliked, I've found so much freedom, freedom from psychoanalyzing what other people think about me or you know, when I was deep in my eating disorder and body, body dysmorphia, it was, do they notice that I've gained X amount of pounds? Do they notice I've changed? Do they wreck it? Like I, you know, the last time I saw them, I wasn't eating gluten and sugar and now I'm eating gluten. Are they judging me for how I'm eating now? You know, I've been able to shift away from that people pleasing and in turn find freedom and greater groundedness and greater peace. And, and I like myself more because I'm living more in, in alignment with who I am instead of worrying so much about what other people think about me. And, you know, it's, it is a journey for sure. Um, and it's scary to not always focus on people liking you. Uh, really scary. Um, Ain't that the truth. Yeah, it is, right? We all as, a, like as a, an attempted recovering people pleaser. Yes. <laughs> it's scary. It is so scary. You know, it made me think of a therapist once told me like, 
years ago when I um, uh, a therapist that I was working with said, you know, what other people think of you is none of your business. And I remember saying out loud, like, what in the hell are you talking about? That's how I how I how I function. Like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Like, how? what do you mean? Like, it felt so like a slap in the face. Like, oh, God, is that true? Like, is that really true? And I remember, like, it took me a long time to kind of get there. But she's she was so right. You know, it was really none of my business. And it's really hard to get over that, right? Like, it's really hard, especially when you are someone who wants to people please. Um, and also, like you said, like fit in too. It's so difficult. And I do understand 100% how that propensity can really lead you to to um, engage in a lot of of disassociation and and um, activation in various different ways in order to try to do stuff that maybe would go against what your body um, is really calling for you know putting yourself in in, com- in uncomfortable states, right? And doing that. I think um, something else to kind of think too is that it can kind of like make you, when you're not focused on yourself, it can make it really difficult. When you're focused on what everyone else is thinking, it's really difficult to hear what you're thinking and what you're feeling. And so that then again makes you kind of separate from your home, right? And your body like is your home and it's the only one you got. And when we are so separate, (laughs) we're so separate from it um, because we're worried about what other people are thinking about, you know, in some cases about our body. Um, It can be such a period and a part of um, so much internal angst and and decisions that can really lead everything. You can read, lead the whole story. So, and then you're yeah. like, oh God, the calls are coming from inside the house. Exactly. Totally. Well, so all of this made me think of, Jesse, when you were talking about how, you know, you're kind of on this journey to disconnect from what other people think and really tune into what you think. It's so courageous and hard to be able to do that when you have a presence on social media because mm-hmm. as someone who has been the recipient of lots of hate on the internet <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's just yeah. it's so hard to do that because whether or not you grew up as a people pleaser or you have those tendencies when people are coming at you the way that the human brain is wired going back to the nervous system is we're constantly looking for threats so you can have a hundred positive comments of like yeah agree this is the best and then there's one that's like you are an idiot and how dare you recommend this and that is the only one that sticks out to you so I just wanted to acknowledge that like yeah this is hard (laughs) totally yes and it is a process it you know it's it's a process of learning where to put your energy and attention and I think you know those who read um, relate to being people pleasers. I think the encouragement that I would have needed to hear if I was on, on, you know, starting this journey of recognizing those tendencies in myself and didn't even know where to begin is it's just a set of skills, learning how to not be a people pleaser and learning how to come back in like healing your relationship with food and body are just skills. Um, and there's a variety of skills you have to learn and you have to practice. And then they, impact your life and they transform it. And so instead of being so overwhelmed, just go, okay, these are just skills that I have to learn. One of the skills 
to, um, you know, moving through people pleasing and finding freedom from that is uh, the ability to mentally pivot and uh, shift your focus and shift your attention onto the right things, onto things that bring you life, onto things that build you up. So if you're getting a ton of hate on the internet or, you know, if you're getting, you know, if somebody's not liking liking you in real life, how much energy are you choosing to give that thing? Because it really is in your control. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but it really is in our control to be able to tune into different um different parts of our life. And so I'm not going to give a whole bunch of, uh, uh, you know, recognition to all these people misunderstanding a reel that I post. Sure, I might respond to a few comments so that people can see, hey, no, that wasn't my intention. Sorry, you missed the point, but here's my intention. You know, and those who are just set on not understanding my intention or where I'm coming from, there's no amount of explaining myself that's going to do anything. So I just release and let go and I tune in to other aspects of my life that are, you know, that are fulfilling or that are grounding or that build me up. And so it's really about energy management. My energy doesn't get to go here. I'm going to be disciplined and not letting it go there as much as I want to go read those comments or as much as I want to tune into X, Y, and Z gossip in my real life, whatever. I realize that it's bringing me down and life is so short and I have to be the manager of my energy and it's going to go over here in things that build me up and give me life. Um, and so that's just a skill that I practice and it really does allow me to find a lot of freedom from the hate or the judgment or whatever it is because you know I'm just, I'm tuning into the realities and the frequencies and the energies that lift me up and allow me to continue to progress forward. Yeah. And what's so funny about that too is even with the post about the, you know, like dunking your face in or any of these other tools and people are like, oh my God, how can you be recommending this? Like there's so much nuance and how could you be saying that? My Mm -hmm. favorite way to respond to that is like, yeah, there is a lot of nuance to this. I actually did an hour long podcast episode on it. You should listen to it. And then people are like, oh, (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to. I just want to hate on you. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, okay. Oh my God. It's like, if you would just read, you would know. <laughs> Imagine Totally. That. Oh my God. Totally. Well, Jesse. No one has time for that. <laughs> now. I don't want to have time, But they have enough time to comment and say whatever they want to say. That's they just want to hate, say. you know? That's People love to hate. Oh my God. People love to poke. And I think it's kind of frustrating too, because I feel like I, I can't, ignore like the elephant in the room that we're a bunch of women talking about people pleasing and trying to undo it and we live in a culture where put we put women in the position of feeling like we need to people please so <laughs> yeah. I think like there's so many layers here that like so need many. to go into it and it is like what you said there's tools in the toolbox but there's also dismantling <laughs> dismantling needs to happen at the same time and I'm just gonna say that and leave it there One and everyone time. knows what I mean <laughs> everyone knows what I mean by dismantling yes <laughs> Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for coming on. This is a Mm -hmm. great conversation. I had a lot of fun. I know Christine had a lot of fun. We hope you had fun too. Um, I sure we I'm sure we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours, but we do want to be respectful of your time. Mm -hmm. Um, so thank you for coming on and then please tell everybody all the places that they can find you. Mm Sure, totally. Thank you so much for having me and and opening up a discussion around this. I hang out on my own podcast, the Dear Body Podcast, and my social media is Jesse J E S S I Jean J E A N N N. So that's where you can find me. That's where I spend my time. But thank you both for having me on. Yeah, thank you. 
Hey friends, it's Dana, and thanks so much for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast today. Find us on social media at Wholehearted Eating Pod on Instagram and at wholeheartedeating.com for more information about working with Dana and Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling. If you love the show, we would love you forever if you'd share an episode with your family and friends or tag us on social media or leave a five-star rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts to help more people find the show. Check out patreon.com slash wholeheartedeating to help support the show and get access to ad-free episodes, bonus episodes with us and our guests, episode discussions, new resources we're creating for Patreon, and so much more. If you have questions for us, feedback on the show, potential topics or guests you'd love to have on, shoot us an email at hello at wholeheartedeating.com, and we'll see you next week.